I've watched that video many times over the years. And we've played it a couple times in services as well. The voice you heard was from a pastor that was taken from a message. His name is Shadrach Meshach Lockridge. Isn't that the best Bible name you've ever heard of? Well, different sections jump out at me each time. This time, I wish I could describe them to you. He's indescribable, he's incomprehensible, he's invincible, and he's irresistible. So, who wouldn't want to follow him? After knowing Jesus through the new birth, why wouldn't we want to be disciples who make disciples by gathering, growing, giving, and going with the gospel, all for the glory of God. Over the last couple of weeks, we've looked carefully at each word of Luke chapter 9, verse 23. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, number one, let him deny himself. Number two, take up his cross daily and follow me. God, as we look at your word, we don't want to just glance at it. No, we want to, uh, we want to dig into it. We, uh, we want to have a meal today, for we are hungry and we're thirsty. So, Lord, would you take your living and active word, empowered by your Holy Spirit. May our ears hear it, our eyes see it, and then may our wills, cooperate with what you want us and who you want us to be, our character, and, and then how you want us to live. And so, Lord, we believe that in these moments, you're going to do your work in a powerful way. And even as we gather here, there are churches all around the globe gathering and proclaiming the gospel of your son, Jesus. Lord, may fruit come to bear uh, from what we're going to learn together today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We summarize the last two sermons this way. This is a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you your life. After the sermon last weekend, an Edgewood member told me about the lead story in the most recent Voice of the Martyrs magazine. The title is, The Crosses We Must Choose for Ourselves. It's a great follow-up to our topic last weekend. They, meaning persecuted Christians, face a daily temptation to avoid suffering. How, how, what's their temptation to avoid suffering? Silence and inactivity. And it's important to admit that we face the same temptation. Cross-bearing is not a discipleship topic for Christians somewhere else. By the way, Voice of the Martyrs is one of our Go Team partners, so when we give either online or through uh, physically through our checks, uh, part of that 
offering goes to support our Go Team partners. Voice of the Martyrs is one of those. And we're going to be hosting a simulcast VOM conference right here on Friday, March 5th. And it's going to feature three individuals who've been imprisoned for Christ. I invite you to come to that. Well, we've been considering the call to discipleship. We fleshed out three of the four conditions of discipleship, desire, denial, death, and today we're going to investigate the importance of devotion. Here's the phrase, three words, and follow me. Listen to Luke 9.23 again, being reminded that these are the words of Jesus. And he said to all, which would include us, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Our main idea is this. A disciple is one who follows Jesus no matter what. Well, let's start. Look at the word and. That indicates a continuous from the con- continuance from the conditional clauses we've already addressed. It could also be translated as also. So after desiring, denying self, dying to self, there's one more condition. The words of Jesus, follow me and follow me. Well, let's take these in reverse order. While the demands of discipleship are difficult, the key is to focus on the word me, meaning he, as in Jesus. So listen, when we consider the invincibility of Christ, when we consider his irresistible call on our lives, we'll want our desires to line up with his. We'll gladly deny ourselves. We'll joyfully take up our cross daily and we'll be intent on following him. And so we begin with the word me because we need to know who it is that is calling us to follow. Here are four pictures of Jesus found in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, very first verse of the New Testament, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That's loaded. Jesus. That name means Savior. He came to save us from our sins. The word, the title Christ, that's the word Messiah, or the promised one of the Old Testament. Son of David, he's from the kingly line of David. Son of Abraham, his genealogy goes all the way back to Abraham, the father of God's people. If you've been following the Edgewood Bible reading plan this week, you would have finished reading about Abraham from Genesis. Other pictures from the first chapters of Matthew include this. Jesus is fully human and he's fully divine. He's sovereign over the wise and he's shepherd of the weak. He's the king and the righteous judge. He is filled with God's spirit and loved by God the Father. He's the light of the world and the hope for all nations. Now, let's go turn to the first chapter of the book of Revelation. So we considered the first verse of Matthew first verse of the New Testament. Now let's go to the last book, and let me just walk us through Revelation chapter 1. We see the name Jesus Christ. Incidentally, there are over 35 names and titles of Jesus found in the book of Revelation. Here are 10 from chapter 1. Jesus Christ, 
the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, ruler of the kings of the earth, Alpha and Omega, the one who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty, the Son of Man, the first and the last, and the living one who died. So when Jesus calls us to follow him, let's consider the weight and the wonder of the one who is speaking. And when we do, we'll see that he and he alone is worthy of all glory, along with our total abandonment and our supreme adoration. We cannot be half-hearted or ho-hum about our holiness when the holy God in the flesh is saying, follow me. In a very challenging sermon called Follow Me, David Platt says this, once you come in contact with the God of the universe in the flesh, the Savior, King of the nations, the light of the world, and he reaches down into your dead, cold heart, and he saves you from the clutches of your sin, and he gives you new life, things are going to look different. When you respond to this me, when you follow this Christ, Everything changes about your life. To leave behind, lay down, abandon everything in your life makes no sense until you realize who Jesus is. But when you realize who he is, when you realize who Christ the King is, laying down, leaving behind, and abandoning everything is the only thing that makes sense. This past week, I watched and listened to that sermon by David Platt, and I wept through it. If you'd like to listen, watch that yourself, it's posted on our Sermon Extras tab on our website or app. So that's the word me. Now let's look at the word follow. The word follow comes from the prefix indicating union along with the word path, road, or journey. So it literally means to walk the same road with, and it's in the present imperative, meaning we're to keep on constantly continually following him. So when Jesus said, follow me, it's an invitation. He's saying, join me in my path, my journey. And if we choose to follow, it means we're all about going where he goes because he's the leader. And it means doing what he says we should do because he is Lord. We could say it like this, hear and do the will of the one who goes ahead of us. One pastor offers this helpful word picture. The chart of the true disciple directs him to renounce every path of his own choosing that he may put his feet into the print of his leader's footstep. Notice the personal aspect of this. Jesus said, follow me. It's all about a relationship with the Savior. It's not a system of rules or even rituals. Discipleship is relationship where we're invited to be close to him, to obey his teachings, to take the same path he takes and to walk the same road he walked. Interestingly, it was not common for a rabbi back then to call people to follow him. Here's how it normally worked. People who were pupils or students, they wanted to be, a, they wanted to be apprentices. They wanted to learn from a rabbi. They would pick a rabbi they wanted to hang out with. Would you note here that's not how this works? Jesus 
is the one who's calling people to follow him. And his call is to deny self, to take up our cross daily and follow him. And that's what the disciples did. Without hesitation, it's what we're to do today. Related to this, this is an interesting thought. Jesus never came up to somebody and said, accept me. No, he said, follow me. Now, unfortunately, some of us are like the guy described in this poem by Dan Atkins. It was written from the perspective of a man expressing his commitment to a woman, and I guess it's appropriate on Valentine's Day. It goes like this. The guy says, I would climb the highest mountain, swim the deepest ocean too. I would crawl the hottest desert. I'd do anything for you. I would leap the tallest building. I'd bear any trial or pain. There's no limit to my love, and I'll be over Friday night if it don't rain. (laughs) You know, a disciple is one who follows Jesus no matter what, whether it rains or snows or it's below zero. See, the words we use are important. There's certainly nothing wrong with saying titles or phrases like this, I'm a Christian. Well, that word is from the book of Acts. I'm a believer, or even I'm a Baptist. I've been trying to identify myself a little bit differently. Here's how I've been doing it, and I don't say it all the time, but I'm striving to, and perhaps you'd like to join me in this. I'm a follower of Christ. And when I have discussions with somebody wanting to have gospel conversations, I have found if I ask them if they're a Christian, most of the time they say yes. So I've been asking it differently. I've been asking, are you a follower of Jesus? And on Friday, we had somebody fixing something in our home, and we were having a conversation about spiritual matters and the Bible, and it seemed to me that he thought he was good to go until I asked him this question. I said, are you a follower of Christ? He paused, became a little awkward, and he said, I don't know what that means, which led into a gospel conversation. Also, when I'm speaking to a true Christ follower, often I will ask this question, how long have you been following Christ? A couple months ago, I read the four Gospels, and I discovered the word follow is used 18 times. And so we're going to walk through these passages to see that following Jesus was never meant to be casual. I'll put it up on the screen as well because we'll fly through this, but I want us to just get the force of these passages. Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. And he said to them, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him, and going on from there he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Notice, immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Matthew 9, verse 9, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew, also known as Levi, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Matthew chapter 19, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. 
Matthew 19, verse 27 and 28. Then Peter said in reply, See, we've left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Mark chapter 6, verse 1. He went away from there and he came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. Mark 10, 32. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking ahead of them and they were amazed and those who followed were afraid. And taking the 12 again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him. Okay, now book of Luke, Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 5, verse 11. And when they brought their boats to land, They left everything and followed him. Luke chapter 9, 57 through 62, we read these words. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Notice Jesus' answer. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, birds of the air, well, they have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me, but he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now let's head over to John chapter 1, beginning in verse 35. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, so this would be John the Baptist, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples, these would be disciples of John, heard him say this and they followed Jesus. John 1.43, the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip, and he said to him, follow me. By the way, that captures the first half of our definition of discipleship. A disciple is a believer who lovingly follows Jesus. So that's what Philip is demonstrating here. If you continue to read verse 45, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said, come and see. Well, that really describes the second half of our discipleship definition. So Philip is following Jesus, and he's intentionally helping Nathanael to do the same and intentionally helps others follow him. Now, during this series, perhaps you've been stirred maybe in one of two ways. Maybe here's the first way. You're like, man, I need to get serious about following Jesus, and I need some help. I want someone to disciple me. Or perhaps you're on the other side, and you're like, man, I've been walking with Jesus for many years, and 
I believe that God's prompting me to disciple someone, to come alongside a newer believer and to help them grow. Wherever you are, or maybe you're in the middle on that spectrum, I invite you to an exploratory meeting that'll be held on Thursday, February 25th at 7 p.m. Oh, there's a few more. John 10, verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they what? Well, they follow. That's what sheep do. John 12, 26, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And then John chapter 21 So Peter has denied Jesus three times. Jesus has now been raised from the dead. He's on a beach, and he has a conversation with Peter, and he restores him uh, to ministry. And then he explains how Peter's going to die. And then he says these words, verse 19, and after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter looked around after that. He noticed John. John was there, and so he asked Jesus what plans he had for John. Aren't we like that? Yeah, we, we say, well, what about him? What about her? But once again, Jesus puts Peter in his place. Would you listen to what Jesus said? If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Friends, this is so personal. Jesus looks at each of us individually, and he says, you, no matter what anybody else is doing, you follow me. Here's the other thing I think about. Here's Peter who has denied Jesus three times and he's not DQ'd because of that. Jesus goes out of the way to restore him. Three times he says, feed my sheep. And then now he gives the call again to follow me. There's one other thought related to that. Jesus' first spoken words to Peter were, follow me. And the last recorded words of Jesus on earth to Peter, follow me. That's that's the invitation that we have today. A disciple is one who follows Jesus no matter what. I appreciated David Platt's summary of what it means to follow Christ. To follow Jesus is to live with radical abandonment for his glory. To live with joyful dependence on his grace. To live with faithful adherence to his person. And to live with urgent obedience to his mission. It's easy to add Jesus like we add friends on Facebook. It's much more difficult to be a full-fledged follower. Jesus is not an app that we just add to our life. 
No, because he's Lord, he wants our whole life. And so are you today, right where you're at, listening, engaging online, or right here, are you willing to renounce every person, possession, and especially yourself, in order to follow Christ? Will you put your faith over your family, over anything else that has had first place in your life? Is there anything right now, if you were honest, you'd say, yes, this one thing, this one habit, this one sin, this one activity, this one relationship is keeping me from being a 100% follower of Christ. Luke 14, 33, words of Jesus, so therefore any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Well, after the call to discipleship, the four conditions listed in Luke 9.23, desire, deny, death, and devotion, Jesus concludes with three cautions in verses 24 to 26. Caution number one, if you only focus on your own life, you'll lose it. We see that in verse 24, for whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. If you try to hold on to what you have, you'll miss what Jesus wants to give you. The person who seeks to save his life by not denying self in the short term will lose his life in the end. When you settle the surrender issue and commit to follow Christ at any cost, you will end up saving your life. We would do well to adopt the Apostle Paul's purpose statement, Acts 20, 24, but I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. C.S. Lewis once wrote, Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I've not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. I'll give you a new self instead. In fact, I'll give you myself. My own will shall become yours. So when we lose what has always been so important to us, we end up finding what we've been searching for all along. Speaking of those who were completely committed to Christ, Revelation 12, 11 says, for they loved not their lives even unto death. I'm reminded of the words of Jim Elliott, a missionary who was martyred in Ecuador. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Incidentally, he wrote those words when he was in his 20s. Number two, if you only lock into your own success, you'll lose your soul. In verse 25, Jesus is asking a probing question for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? He's using economic terms here, profit, gain, loss, forfeit. We could gain everything and lose our very souls. You could make a lot of money and end up in hell. So here's a question to ponder. Will I spend my life for the Savior or will I waste my life on this world? One time, the evangelist Harry Ironside was interrupted by the shouts of an atheist while he was preaching. 
The atheist yelled out, there is no God. Jesus is a myth. I challenge you to to a debate. I love Ironside's response. He said, I accept your challenge, sir, but on one condition. When you come, bring with you 10 men and women whose lives have been changed for the better by the message of atheism. Bring former prostitutes and criminals whose lives have been changed and who are now moral and responsible individuals. Bring outcasts who had no hope and have them tell us how becoming atheists has lifted them out of the pit. And sir, Ironside concluded, if you can find 10 such men and women, I'll be happy to debate you. And when I come, I will gladly bring with me 200 men and women from this very city whose lives have been transformed in just those ways by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Friends, Jesus Christ changes lives today, and he does so through demanding discipleship. Remember this. It's costly to follow Christ, but it's a price worth paying. Number three, third caution, if you're ashamed of Christ... Uh, he'll be ashamed of you. I'm in verse 26. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. So there's a great cost to discipleship. There's even a greater cost to not following Christ. We're called to confess Christ and not be ashamed of him. And friends, that's going to get more difficult in the months and years ahead. One way to confess and profess Christ, if you're saved and you haven't been baptized, is to follow the Lord in baptism. Our next opportunity for baptisms right here will be March 13th and 14th. If God's prompting you to take that step of obedience, you can fill that out on your connection card. So let's not shrink back from the Savior. Let's not waffle with his words as we live in this adulterous and sinful generation. Don't bail on the one who will never fail you. It's time for the church to be the church, to be bold in our witness and loving in our gospel presentations. A disciple is one who follows Jesus no matter what. I end with Platt's conclusion. I hope it has been clear that to follow Jesus will cost you everything now, but he's worth it. But it's death to self. It's new life in him. But there is a cost. You can mark it down. There will be costs for all who truly follow after this Christ in this world. It will not be easy. It may cost you your life to live with urgent obedience to this mission. But I want to propose that the cost of non-discipleship is far, far, far greater. Because for many who sit back in a cultural veneer of Christianity without knowing Christ, there will be eternal consequences. Not just then, though, but now. To sit back in casual, comfortable Christianity is to miss out on the joy and the peace and the thrill and the satisfaction that comes from truly knowing the Jesus from the Bible and following the Jesus of the Bible with all your heart You can lose your life, and you will find life. But if we don't, we miss life in Christ. So the consequences, the cost, will be great for us, and the cost will be great for the world. 
for 6,000 people groups who will continue without ever hearing the gospel while those who have the gospel sit back and coast it through until they get to heaven. There is a steep cost to cultural, nominal Christianity in the world. So I urge you, I urge you to live with radical abandonment for his glory, joyful dependence on his grace, faithful obedience to his person, and urgent obedience to his mission until we see the face of the me we have been beckoned to follow. One individual who is following Christ is Alex Diaz. And Alex, I'm going to ask you to come up right now. Alex is a member of Edgewood. He's been part of our church for six years. Um, he recently married Maria and has three children. You brought Crystal uh, with you today. Crystal and then two boys, Alex and Anthony. Are they down in the lower level for classes? Excellent. Uh, Crystal, thanks for coming up uh, today. I know that's got to be hard, but it's nice to have you here with your dad. Uh, Crystal got baptized uh, just two months ago, right? In November, three months ago, and she's 10 years old. Yeah. So I had some I have some questions I want to ask you, but when I called you this week, uh, so just to summarize, last Sunday I was out in the cafe and we had a, a nice conversation, and you told me how what God has been doing in your life and in your family. So I called Alex this week and I asked him if he'd be open to do an interview, and he said, sure, but you were nervous about it, right? And not, not only would all of us be nervous, but English isn't your first language. And second. Yeah, your, English is your second language, right? And, and I can relate. We lived in Mexico for three years as missionaries, and, and it's hard for me to, I mean, I don't speak Spanish well at all. I know you wanted me to do this interview in Spanish. Not going to happen, man. So at the end of the conversation, so he said, God wants me to do it, I'll do it. The end of the conversation, he said, hey, pastor, would you pray for me about something? And I said, sure. So he explained to me that in your workplace, uh, God's really given you a heart for your coworkers. And he mentioned that he and one of his coworkers, who's a Christ follower, have been fasting one day a week and praying for their coworkers. And you said that you were having a Bible study this week, which actually was yesterday. So... Fill us in on how that went. It was really good. So it all started, I met this guy at work, and then God connected us together on the same spirit. So we start praying, and then people from our place start seeing us. So they came over to ask for praise. So we're talking about it and say, well, we're praying God. So he's doing something. We got to give up our next step because we got to be walking always towards God. So we decided to have a Bible study, and yeah, it was yesterday. And four people, we were there. So <laughs> Wow. God, it was good. We all enjoy it. We, uh, we don't live in hard times, and we need to lift each other up right now. Yes, amen. And, and again, I, uh, uh, your hesitation about doing it, not only would that be hard for us to meet with coworkers for a Bible study, but was your, your English, and your English is great, man. 
You're doing a super job. But that was a concern for you, wasn't it? Like, oh, this is all going to be in English, and, and the Lord helped you with that. And do you mind sharing what you, you were saying about Moses and others who were a little reluctant? Yeah, I was really worried about that, the language. And that's the excuse that I've been using always to God. I say, God, this is, I don't know, I can speak 100% and stuff like that. But it's just excuses that we put before God so we don't do our work that we're supposed to be doing. So I'm like, God, I'm just willing to do what you do. Because when I look on the Bible, Moses wasn't ready. He said the same thing. I cannot even talk. But <laughs> he led thousands and thousands of people. And God used him to do miracles and signs and everything. And God is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. So if he used this guy that he didn't know nothing, he can use us. We're the same on, the, on God's eyes. We just have to be available to do it, to do the work of God. And he will do something with us, I believe. Wow. So I think I'm going to have Alex preach next weekend. So, so that was extra. This isn't even part of what I wanted to talk to you about today, but that is yeah. beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, so, Alex, you take your responsibility to evangelize and disciple your three children very seriously. Share what happened recently in a discussion with Crystal. One day we got home from church. And she was asking me questions about salvation. What do I do? What do I need to be saved? And it surprised me because to me it was too young to make that decision. Because this decision is the most important decision that we make in our lives. And it has to come out of her heart. So I went to God and prayed. I said, God, is she ready? Because if I tell her right now, she's going to be obedient to me. And I don't know if it's coming out of her heart. You wanted to make sure it was real. You didn't want yeah. her to do it just to please her dad. Okay. Yep, that's exactly what I what I was thinking. So I told her, I said, I'm going to make a Bible study so you know what is coming out of the Bible so you, be, so, you, so you can see with your eyes that this is what God wants us to do. So a couple of weeks went by, and then I had the study ready, and I'm praying to God, and I said, Crystal, okay, I'm ready to do the study. And then she's like, so I told her, so well, you know what we need to do to be safe? And she's like, I already know that, Dad. <laughs> and I'm like... You were asking me, how do you know? He said, well, I learned at a church. She's like, what do you learn at church? Didn't you learn this stuff at church? And I said, well, Pastor Brian doesn't teach me right. Maybe she needs to speak <laughs> Spanish. <laughs> so, yeah, she was telling me that. And I say, so are you ready to do it? And she's like, I already did it myself. And I'm like, really? I say, do the teachers help you do it? And she's like, no, I learned at a church. I came home, and that night, that's the same night, I went to my room and did it myself. So when I say, well, explain me what you did. I wanted to make sure it was You right. wanted to make sure, right. Yep. And she said, well, all I had to do is repent myself and then ask God for forgiveness and to come inside my life so he, so he can be my Savior. That's all we need. And I'm like, yeah, now you're preaching me. You're preaching me. <laughs> oh, wow. Praise God. Thank you for sharing that. Wow. I, I love every part of that, that you wanted her to understand it. You didn't want to pressure her. You did a Bible study. You're prepared to walk her through a Bible study. She's like, I already know that. <laughs> it's fantastic. Why would you say it's important for parents to evangelize and disciple their children? I truly believe that one day we're going to be in the presence of God, like me and you are right now, and we have to answer God. What are, what are we doing with the stuff that he trusts us to do? Mm. And our kids is the closest thing that we got. And, and like the Bible says in Deuteronomy 11, 18 says, Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Teach them to your children. Talk about them when you sit at home. So we have a commandment 
It's not something that we want to do. We have to live it out. And I make a lot of these mistakes before I say, don't look at me because I'm a human. I make a lot of mistakes. And I'm like, I know I'm human and I make a lot of mistakes, but who are they going to look? I'm the closest thing that they yeah. have so they can be looking for God. If yeah. I'm a Christ follower, we have to be an example of what we're doing and everything that we do so they can be seeing us because they don't have anything to see. So I know we make a lot of mistakes, but we also we have to be a light on the world to the people that we're preaching the gospel stuff. Amen. So that reference was Deuteronomy 6, if you want to look that up, the first like six verses. You, you read a couple of those. But that's very motivating for you, isn't it? Yeah. So you've been involved here at Edgewood and maybe for six years, and your kids have been involved in children's ministry. Why is it so important that your children are not only learning from home, but also learning through coming to church and being involved in Because your kids are involved in Awana and children's ministry on Sunday morning. Yeah, that is really important for all the teachers here at church that sometimes we don't take our time to, tell, to thank them for what they're doing, the teachers and all the stuff that works over here. And I want, to t- I want to take the time to thank every single one today. A lot of times maybe you guys think, well, they're not putting attention or they're not listening to us because I know they're kids, they're playing. But the perfect example is Crystal. She did it all by herself because she learned it from the teacher. So I want to encourage all of them to keep doing the work of God. And every time I, we go home from church, I ask them always, I say, what do you learn from church? So they all tell me. And last past week, Wednesday, on Awana, Crystal was telling me. She's like, I learned that when Jesus Christ healed the ten leprosies. But she said, but only one came back and thanks God. And I'm like, what did that tell you? And she said, well, they were ungrateful. And I'm like, yeah. And how can we apply it to our lives? I say, sometimes God does bless us all over the week, Monday through Saturday. He gave us, we're healthy, he gave us everything we need, beyond what we need. And what do we do? I say, how do we show our grateful to God by staying home instead of coming to the house of God to worship him? I say, so we need to be more grateful with God, with all the stuff that he gave us every day, and not be like the other nine that we're like, ah, we're staying home. He already did what we needed, so we're good. What do you think of that, huh? That is fantastic. Yeah, so, so I talked a little faster during the sermon because I wanted to give you an opportunity to share one last thing. Anything else on your heart without putting you on the spot? Just about why, the, why it's so important for you to be living on mission and raising your children to follow Jesus. Well, like I was saying, that's going to be us. I'm the head of the household. So I've got to be an example for them, and that's the responsibility that I have to answer, God. So if I don't take this serious, and another verse that it bothers, really bothers me, well, kind of, yeah, I'm worried about it. Because that was when Moses, when God told Moses to do the miracle, to talk to the rock so the water can come and feed the, the people. And we see that the miracle happened, so everybody was happy. The people was happy. Moses was happy because he didn't believe it was going to happen. But God was mad. And he did it. He did what God told him, but he didn't obey it the right way. He said, talk to the rock, and he hid the rock. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times I say, God, am I doing it the right way? Mm -hmm. The way that you want me to do it, because it's a different thing. Even though if I do it, but if I don't do it his way, I'm doing it wrong because God can be mad. And that really bothers me. I'm like, God, I want to do it, but I want to do it. That motivates you. Yeah. To do it the yeah. Do it the right way. Do it the right way. Wow. And us as a man, like all of us, we're the head of the house. So that's a responsibility to teach our kids, to teach our children, our wives, and everything that God has trusted us because we're going to answer God one day. 
And I think that's really important for us to put the picture on our mind and say one day we're going to be before God and tell him all this. And what excuses are we going to make? Because like you were saying, we have to live the Bible. We know the Bible. We come to church. We listen to you preach. We go home, but we don't do anything about it. Hmm. And it is more about salvation. I mean, salvation is the main thing. We need to be safe to be with God. But it's something else that we need to do. That, I'm not saying that we have to work to get our salvation. No, we have to do the, God, the will of God so he can be pleased with us. Amen. Because salvation, yeah, that's the most important thing. But we have to obey God. Wow. And how are we going to obey God if we don't read the Bible or if we don't do what the Bible says? Because a lot of times we're just listeners, hearers of the word, but not doers of the word. And that's the key. That's what wow. What a good word. Let's just give him a hand again. Wow. Thank you, brother. Thank you, Crystal. Bless you. Man, among many things that, that he shared is that's really a challenge to dads. Did, did, men, did you hear that? I mean, he's laying that down uh, for dads and for grandparents, grandfathers. Wow. 